It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. Today, we've got a special treat. I have joining me today, Dan Simborski from Fangraphs.com. He also writes for ESPN.com and some different baseball websites. Before we jump into that, though, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0100. Five nine. If you've got questions, you've got comments, reactions to today's podcast, let me know on the Lockdown Reds line or at Twitter. But now, let's jump into Friday's interview with Dan Simborski. Alrighty, for today's Locked On Reds, I have with me from Fangraphs.com, and he also writes in some other different places, but the guy who does the zips projections on Fangraphs, Dan Simborski, joins me today on the podcast. Dan, it is a honor to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you today? Man, I, I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I got to be honest, I was hoping the stove would still be a little bit hot for the Reds, but we're we're just kind of in a waiting period right now. And with uh, your projections that have come out, it's kind of given us something to look forward to. I know that there's a lot of different projection systems that are out there and stuff. So before we dive in specifically to the Reds, I just wanted to kind of get uh, just what goes into the Zips projections. Well, at, at its simplest level, I could go on about it for an hour in a very dry fashion. <laughs> at, at, at its core... Zips is taking past performance, different indicators, correcting for, uh, you know, some of the advanced StatCast and StatCast type data that's available uh, to me and most of the public. Uh, And it's establishing a baseline expectation for every player. And then to see where a player's going, uh, it compares that player's baseline to every baseline in history, as long as it's the major leagues going back to 1920, because the dead ball era before that kind of messes things up. Uh, And I had the minor leagues going back to the late 60s. Uh, translations and stuff. So it compares one person's baseline to every other player's baseline, forms a large cohort of roughly similar players, and uses baseball history as kind of a guide to guess where a player's going. Now, obviously, the future is hard to predict, so the error bars are massive. We're just trying to peek through the fog a little of the the future. We, We can't actually, you know, remove the fog, unfortunately, because it would be great for gambling if I could do that, but I can only improve it a little bit. Right. Could be like and uh, those were cats. <laughs> That's all right. in the background. That is all right. We've got nature going on in the background. I love it. No. <laughs> um, when it comes to zips, it, it, at least compared to depth charts and, and other projection systems like that, would you say it's more conservative or more aggressive? I don't know. Zips is, is tended tends to be about the middle ground. Uh, because uh, at times it's been called conservative, at times it's been called aggressive. Uh, I, I try to, to be 
in the middle, so to speak. Uh, it tends to be probably a little less conservative than the steamer, but it seems to be more conservative than the Bill James or the BP projections per coda. Uh, so it, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I think they're reasonable, uh, and I think they do a decent job, but uh, I I don't know if I'd really describe them as more aggressive uh, in that way. Because that kind of bias in one direction would actually be an easier thing to correct. But we've pretty much eliminated most of the low-hanging fruit. Right. And that's the reason I just kind of wanted to paint that picture, because when we look at the Reds projections, and if uh, those of you listening out there have not gone to Fangraphs.com, check out the Zips projections for the Reds, kind of looks at every single player that's expected to make a decent contribution to the team as of right now. And looking at it, one of the questions that we have had, Red's country has had about the team, has been the question marks in the outfield. There's talent there, sure, but there's lots of unknown. And when you look at the Zips projections when it comes to Aquino at right around 1.2 war and uh, the combination of Shogo and Senzel right around 1.5 those are the kind of things that we were talking about whenever it looks for moves. Is when you look at the Reds outfield, and I know hope's not a strategy, but when you look at the Reds outfield, is there a wide range of outcomes, or is it sort of on the average to below average scale? I I, I would say it's 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 an average outfield at best. Uh, but what's challenging about, it, and I described it in my little write up that went with the projections, is that there are a lot of options in the outfield, and who should get the most playing time isn't actually obvious. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like every player that has an option, I mean, even ignoring like Scott Shebler, who's still, you know, floating around somewhere or, or, or even Josh Van Meter, you, you have five other, other guys who look to get playing time, you know, Irvin Winker, Akino, Akiyama, and Senzel. Uh, but I, it's hard to say who should be, starting because you know every player has a strength and a weakness it's not like you have you know mike trout and two other guys who are clearly best well if you look at the outfield i described it kind of as a big vat of lego uh, on the site because you know you you start with essentially five guys in the outfield who should get the majority of the playing time you have akiyama senzel akina winker and Irvin, and you still have you know josh van meter around uh you still have shebler kind of technically around unless he's been dfa'd and i and i missed it in the last few weeks uh, and it's it's not obvious who should get the most playing time. That's kind of why I was hoping that if there was a Lindor or a Seager trade, that Senzel would be would be would be part of that because that would clear up a lot of things. As would trying Senzel at shortstop because yeah, I mean that's a risky thing, but that's what spring training is for. These kinds of risky moves. Uh, I know that moving Mustak as the second base last year was was a risky thing, and if Senzel actually worked out at shortstop, it would also kind of clarify matters significantly because then you have Akiyama getting the majority of the time in center field and that kind of makes things flow a little better and it, it it possibly gives upside to a position which doesn't really have a ton of upside at the moment uh but there's a lot of sorting out to do I think the outfield will be kind of average-ish overall but it, it is a challenge since there's just so many you know mismatched parts that's been the the question is that when you have five or six outfielders do you even have three i wonder and and i i know that uh you know hopefully we're still got our fingers crossed that a trade does happen but if a trade happens and gives us some clarity there that would be awesome but do you think it gets sorted out in spring training 
I, I think they can. Uh, the hard part is, is when you're uh, when you give out playing time, someone could have a breakout season that you don't actually know about because you're not playing them. Like, what if you know? What if 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 Jesse Winker uh, unlocked the key to good defense or something in the off season, and we didn't know it because he was he was getting limited playing time, uh, which which was actually a risk at the start of last year when you had a lot of Matt Kemp for some odd reason. Uh, I'm I I think they'll sort it out. I I just think that. If you're looking for upside, then you have to say who has the most upside on on the team. And it's kind of the balance between upside when you talk about, you know, Winker and Senzel and players who you are more confident about being at least adequate now, like Akiyama, who, you know, at his age is not a giant upside candidate. He's not going to have like a Steve Finley breakout post Orioles. Uh, so I, I think that the Reds, you know, not only do they have mismatched parts, they have two, you know, kind of separate. Uh, motivations going on there, both to see how good Winker and Senzel are and also to, you know, maximize wins because they are at the point where they're getting interesting and close to the wildcard race and the division race. When we look at the infield, there's been, obviously, as soon as they signed him, they announced that Moustakis is the second baseman. And I know that the sample size isn't that great with him, but he did look pretty decent, at least on the numbers side of things in the 40 games that he played second base in Milwaukee. How do you think he profiles there for the Reds over an entire season? I suspect he'll be mildly below average, but not disgustingly so. He won't be like late period Dan Ugla or anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you look at his third base performance and in recent years, it's been about league average. Uh, at third base. Uh, he had better numbers earlier in his career, but of course he's not a young player anymore. I mean, he's sure. 31 now. Uh, so you expect to see some defensive decline and average third baseman tend to be roughly sort of below average second baseman. Cause it's, it, it's a more difficult position. You kind of bounce that against age and uh, his, his limited time there, which actually had him about league average at second base. But when you're talking, you know, 400 innings of, of of defensive statistics, you're talking pretty much nothing. You kind of need like three years uh, of defensive uh, data to really tell you all that much. And the Reds don't have the luxury of evaluating Mike Moustakis based on the three years at second base. Uh, so it's it's kind of a in guesstimate territory where he'll probably be a little below average, but he won't be like a disaster or anything. As I said, he won't be late period Ugla. He won't be, you know, Hanley Ramirez at short towards the end. Uh, I, I think that the team can survive that because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, they 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 haven't necessarily always had great defensive second basemen. Kind of, you know, post good Brandon Phillips. Uh, they, you know, they. Uh, my names are forgetting. Derek Dietrich. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, he's not yeah. he's not a terrific second baseman, uh, and they survived with him there. I, I think that playing Mustagas at, at second base is the right thing to do because if you play him at third base. Then the outfield situation becomes even trickier. Then you don't really have a second baseman unless you're going to move. I guess you can move Senzel to second base, but then you have four corner outfielders and one center fielder, and it, it the juggling gets even worse then. Not long now, we're like a month away from the Reds pitchers and catchers reporting and the full squad reports just a few days after that. That means spring training is upon us. Have you already booked your trip out to Arizona? If you haven't, the best way to do that is to go to visitarizona.com slash springtrain. That's the home base for baseball fans because we're talking about getting out to Arizona 
Goodyear, Arizona, specifically for our Redlegs, and Cactus League action. There is like a 50-mile radius with, uh, you know, around Phoenix for the Cactus League spring training games. All of the teams are within that 50-mile radius. Plus, you have amazing stuff to do outside of the ballpark, whether it be landscapes, you know, you go into national parks, things like that, great restaurants, great local breweries, all that sort of stuff. Plus, there's water parks if you want to take the family. And the best way to get all of that planned is to go to visitarizona.com slash spring training today and book your trip. And I got one more thing I want to look at with the lineup before we jump into the pitching side of things, which is a lot uh, a lot more fun to talk about when it comes to the Reds. But I noticed that the projections seem favorable for Joey making a bounce back because I know that last year we said, well, all right, 2018 was an aberration. He's going to bounce back this year. And then 2019 was almost worse than 2018 in some regards. So now looking at it... I, I am under the impression, and there are some in the Red, in Reds country that understand he's no longer the RBI guy. Can he be a viable two-hitter? Because what I'm hoping is we got Shogo leading off with a decent on-base percentage, Joey batting second with a really good on-base percentage, and then we've got folks on the, on the bags for Suarez and Moustakis. Is that a reasonable expectation? I think so. I mean, he's... He's past the star portion of his career. Zips is projecting a bounce back, but not really a bounce to his, you know, his 2015, 2014 level of play. It's it's kind of projecting him to be a bit above average, kind of John Olerud-ish. Uh, okay. But I think the days of him being a significant power hitter are gone. Yeah, he actually might hit, you know, 20, 25 home runs based on the current baseball. But that's not even really a big power hitter anymore in terms of the baseball that we have. Uh, I think last year of of players that qualified for the batting title, I think two or three actually had fewer than 10 home runs. Uh, it was something like uh, I'm actually slowly pulling this up as I kind of filibuster this. But there were 135 <laughs> players that qualified for the batting title. Five had fewer than 10 home runs. And Man. you go back like five years to 2014, that number was like 25. So there are obviously a lot more home runs. So to be a home run hitter as a first baseman, you're probably hitting 35 to 40 home runs now. Sure. Uh, but I, I do think that he's a viable number two hitter. Uh, he's an extraordinarily disciplined hitter. He does get on base. Uh, I mean, obviously his on base percentage went down quite a bit last year. His walk rate actually dropped considerably uh, as his strikeout rate did not. Uh, so there is a little concern that maybe his bat is slowing down uh, and he's not able to execute his superior game plan, which he has uh, as well as he used to. But I think that, you know, the way that Joe Maurer was, was was still a good number two type at the end with Minnesota, Votto is better than Maurer was at the end. So I don't see why he can't be a good number two type. Looking at the pitching, it's um... – the strength of this team, obviously, especially the starting rotation, the projections have the most valuable pitcher, at least across the board, uh, wins above replacement. It's kind of pretty close, but um, the most valuable pitcher being Trevor Bauer. And that would come as a surprise to some Reds fans, given that what we saw from him as he came over from Cleveland was not super impressive last year. What uh, do you think he does to bounce back? Because I, I know that... 
weirdly, it, it, it just didn't seem like guys were missing his pitches last year. Well, one one of the things about Bauer is I think first people have to back away from the idea that 2018 was ever a baseline expectation for Bauer. Uh, there was this kind of idea that if he went back to being in a picture with an ERA around four, that he was a major disappointment. But that really wasn't the case because, you know, you live by the home run, you die by the home run when you're a pitcher. Uh, and measures that look at, at the, at the you know, the data that has nothing to do with home runs, you know, the the, the exit velocities, the, 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 the contact data, they do a better job predicting home run numbers uh, than actual home run numbers do. Sure. And the thing about, about Bauer in Cincinnati is – he, he actually, I mean, his strikeout weight, w- rate went up. His walk rate went down. The, diff- the primary difference was that he allowed more home runs. But his contact numbers didn't really change all that much. Uh, I, I, I think in, in the same way that 2018 he was extraordinarily lucky, I think in a way he was somewhat unlucky with the Reds at least. Uh, his numbers were probably right on where they should have been with the Indians. And then uh, also rolling from the starting rotation onto the bullpen, I noticed that you know, you said some things, and it's funny because uh, I think that every team in Major League Baseball looks for bullpen help, and like you mentioned, this offseason wasn't necessarily a banner year to go shopping for a reliever. And when you look at the Reds' bullpen, what do you think its strength is and what do you think its weakness is? Well, the strength of the Reds' bullpen is that it's quite adequate from top to bottom. There's no major gigantic gaping hole in the back of it. And you sometimes see that with some teams with average bullpens. They have, you know, they have the four guys you want to see in the game and, you know, the three or four guys you dread ever seeing in a game. The Reds are, are, are fairly deep in that that way. Uh, what, what they are missing, I think, is that absolute shutdown armor to at the top of the bullpen. Uh, I mean, Iglesias is fine. Uh, Lorenzen's fine, but there's no one that could come in, you know, like Chapman or prime Andrew Miller or, or, uh, or, you know, Brad Hand wouldn't see with the Padres or Kirby Yates last year. There's no one who really does that with the Reds. And I think that is their weakness. And as we, as you discussed just now, it, it was a bad off season to try to add, uh, relievers because there just weren't that many available. How do you think, and I know you mentioned this in your article, how do you think De Leon, or, and especially Nate Jones, who they just picked up on a minor league deal as well, how do you think they profile? I know they've had injury issues, but when healthy, they seem to have the right stuff, as it were. What, what do you De, think about them? De Leon, he's, 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 he's the one that kind of fascinates me the most, uh, simply because uh, we don't know what to expect from him. He's had a lot of injury problems. His velocity isn't what it used to be uh, when, when, we, when we've seen him. But maybe this year it comes back, and that, that's kind of a game changer. Obviously, I think the idea that we're going to be talking about him as uh, a starter, I mean, that, that's probably gone. I think he's definitely going to be a reliever from now on. Uh, but uh, Nate Jones, on the other hand, uh, he has a pretty you know up and down record he has a couple too many walks when he's been healthy but again we've never really we haven't seen him be healthy in like three or four years yeah. uh so they're kind of lottery tickets in a way uh but if you look at the reds bullpen they're not necessarily counting on de Leon to be a, a a good reliever there's not a lot invested in making that happen right now uh the, the same with you know nate jones 
they 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 haven't you know invested a lot in, in making sure that Nate Jones is good. I mean, he has a minor league deal with an invitation to spring training. He he'll be in AAA if he doesn't pitch well in the spring, as presumably, unless he has an out clause, which I'm not sure if he does or not. Uh, so they're they're interesting, and it's always good to take these kinds of flyers on players like that. But you but in a situation where you're contending, you don't want to really be counting on it happening. You don't want to count on the lottery ticket paying off. You you want health insurance before you want lottery tickets. <laughs> uh, I, I I think that, it, I mean, it could pay off, but the Reds aren't, they're not reliant on them paying off as kind of the win condition to get to the playoffs. So real quick, and I know I've kept you a lot longer than I, uh, I asked you for, and I appreciate your time on that. Uh, how do you see the season playing out as is right now for the Reds? I, I see the team as a kind of a mid-80s, maybe. Maybe I would take the over on 85 slightly. Uh, the, the trick is the division. Uh, the division is still very competitive, but there's no great team in the division. And that kind of makes you know it, it a, pretty, a pretty wide open race because – you look at the other teams in a division, and none of them have really made an effort to take a big step forward. Uh, the Pirates, of course, I think are going to be a non-factor this year. They're, they're, they're pretty much all but saying that they're rebuilding again. Uh, I, I, I would put the Reds slightly behind the top three of the division, but slightly behind. And when you're slightly behind and you have the mindset where you're willing to be aggressive, then I, I, I do think there's a significant upside there. Uh, they... We're not so certain about performances that that we have any kind of confidence that the Reds are actually worse than the top three teams. They might actually be a little bit better than the top three teams. Uh, I, I, I've i done projections long enough that I know how inaccurate we are at predicting the future. Uh, but the Reds are in a position where things can go right and they can win. And that's kind of the important thing. He is Dan Samborski. He writes at Fangraphs mostly. He also makes appearances on different websites such as ESPN.com. Dan, thank you again so much for your time and coming on the podcast today. Um, how much more of the zips? I know that you've got a decent bit <laughs> left to go, but it, it's still early in the offseason, right? <laughs> yeah, well, this this is a busy month, and since most players are signed, it, it's nice because when the news, when the news uh, cycle is slow – I, I have, oh, I have zips to do. I have something to write about. So <laughs> it, it keeps me employed. Um, uh, well, I'm, anyway, thanks for having me on. We will definitely do it again. Absolutely. I, I, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for us this week here on the Locked on Reds podcast. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, make sure you are subscribed on all the many podcasting platforms, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, the Himalaya podcasting app, Podbean, whatever it is you use. Make sure you are subscribed. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and Follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. Also, I have neglected to mention, check out LockedOnReds.com for even more content as we've got a brand new article up there about the left field platoon and its possibilities written by Clay Snowden. Lots of great content up there, Locked On Reds. Thanks again so much for listening to today's episode. This has been the Locked On Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr. You guys have a great weekend. Go Reds, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.